Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listening to? Um, <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. It's Thursday night. It's just about ten past seven. It's March the 21st, 1996. And it's a complete unwiped arse of an episode of Top of the Pops. Hey up, you pop-crazed youngsters. Welcome back to part three of Chart Music 50. Let's not fanny about. Let us rejoin the episode in progress. Oasis. Next up, a brief history of Madonna. Hairdo by Hairdo. Thanks, Madge. I turned around too late to see the falling star. I fell asleep and never saw the sun go down. Wiley. On her own and malingering around a corner next to a double Top of the Pops logo tells us we've just heard one of the greatest songs of the year by Pops' favourite sons. Fuck off, Wiley. Before introducing One More Chance by Madonna. We're sick to fucking death of having to talk about Madonna on chart music. And this single is the follow-up to Oh Father, which got to number 16 in January of this year. It's the third cut from Something to Remember, her compilation of old and new ballads, which was put out last November, and heralded a softer, less pointy abroad, Madonna. (laughs) It's entered the chart this week at number 11, and we're getting the video, which is a cut and shut of clips from her videos for Rain, You'll See, I Want You, Take a Bow, and La Isla Bonita, because Madonna was too busy shooting Evita to do anything new. Oh, God, here we go again. Yeah. Can we talk about Oasis a bit more? (laughs) I mean, the only thing I can chuck in here is that the opening bit of the song is a direct nick, another nick, of um, Stone in Love with You by Stylistics, isn't Uh, it? Yeah. I mean, I'm impressed you could even locate a tune in there to compare it to. Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she's 37 at this point, Madonna, and, you know, she spent the 90s moving away from pop and, and, to an extent... Doing a sex. You know, she's, <laughs> yeah. she's still snogging bullfighters and everything. Mm. But is that a decision on her part? 
Or it, yeah. has she been pushed into it because she's 37? No, no. I think everything's a decision on her part. That's the thing with Madonna. That's why I find her career so joyless. is because mm. she never allows just chance to happen in a sense. And, and sort of randomness. She, she controls entirely throughout her career the narrative around her. So at this mm. point, yeah, she's reasserting her voice and her music more yeah. than her sex books. Um, and uh, this video is an appalling cut together of, of the other videos, but fucking yeah. hell, what a dreary fucking song. Um, you know, you can almost see the guy, we will see this guy, by the way, later, that the acoustic guitar player perched on a fucking stool. Yes. <laughs> um, but Doing yeah. shopping centre flamenco. It's an attempt. I mean, the thing is, this is a recurrent thing that we've seen quite often. Um, in, in the, you, I think, you, do you see a bit of the rundown in this? Um, yes, because as is the style of Top of the Pops of the 90s, they're using the videos that they have to show to sneak the charts in because Absolutely. they don't mean shit anymore. Yeah, and they've chosen a really boring song to do it. And, and yes. luckily, luckily, they're adhering to those diktats that were thrown down a few years before that live performances could only be three minutes and videos could only be two minutes. So mm. I was mainly distracted by the, char- uh, the rundown. Um, yes. And remembering my unaccountable soft spot for the Connells... 74 to 75 and also <laughs> and also remembering how fucking fantastic Loonies was but um yes yeah it is an attempt by her to reassert her proper musicianliness um yeah partly successful to some idiots um but mm. snooze worthy for the rest of us time and i went through that chart 40 to to number 11 i only knew a third of those tunes which is yeah. shameful mm. of a man of my age at the time I just need to ask, is Whatever You Want by Tina Turner recover a status quo? No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah, there's that strip along the bottom and there's this word. Do you know sometimes you, you, you see a word that everyone else suddenly seems to be using like it's a normal word, but you've mm. never seen before in your fucking life? Well, lately I've seen this word Chiron or sh- Chiron or however you say it, C-H-Y-R-O-N. That, that apparently is, is the word for that ticker tape along the bottom of the screen. Ah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. Um, there's all this stuff that I've never heard of, but I noticed there's a massive amount of dance music. There's mm. uh, just, I noted a few of them down, Sunscreen, Gusto, Faithless, Bizarre Inc. And in, in the top 20, you would you'd think that the ones that made the top 20 you would at least remember. Um, yeah. There's one by DJ Mischer and DJ Tim called Access. A uh, one, yeah. Gat, Gat Decor, Passion, I don't remember either of those, um, no. but that you know that was the mainstream, and the yes. stuff the stuff that we consider the mainstream. There are a few in there, you know. You've got Bon Jovi, you've got Queen, you've got all these old fuckers. Tina Turner, you just mentioned. Then you've yeah. got the slightly newer mainstream, like the Connells that uh, Neil just mentioned. You've got Lifted by the Lighthouse Family. You've got Joan yeah. Osborne, One of Us, that kind yeah. of middle of the road business. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got out-and-out pop, like 3T, Peter Andre, Eternal. Tiny bit of hip-hop with uh, Looney's got five on it. But in mm. terms of guitar music, this stuff that um, Blacksill is wanking himself off over, um, apart from the, you know, the songs we've just seen, uh, Oasis and Shed 7, um, the only guitar records, there's all right Britpop uh, in terms of Supergrass, and then... An old eighties goth band, Killing Joke. Yeah, they're at the bottom. Yes. They're at the bottom of the chart. Who even knew they had a hit in in the nineties? Oh. Mm. So it's 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 very interesting that despite Blacksell's best efforts, this is still what people are buying. Yeah, but we're not seeing it, are we? No, no. And, and to a certain extent, some of those singles that Simon mentions, the dance ones, we probably weren't hearing them on the radio either. No. Um, whereas whereas the kind of stuff that is featured on top of the pops did feature on the radio quite a lot, as I recall. 
So it's not the fault of those records, maybe. It's just the way that the culture worked at that time was to yeah. showcase these these gobby bands and push to the edges, that kind of music, even though it was selling in sufficient numbers to get in the chart. Yeah. I mean, um, Rick Blacksell here. Do you want to have a guess how old he is at the time? Rick Blacksell. No, no idea. Well, he's got to be, I mean, 35? He's 33. Ah. Right. Which means when he was in his late teens, it was the Aventis. And... That eclectic melange of yeah. brilliantness. Yeah, yeah. And he wants lumpy guitar shit. <laughs> it's like, mate, what's going on? Going back to the intro to this Madonna song, uh, mm. where you've got uh, Wiley um, sneaking around the corner there, uh, trying to yeah. be sexy. She goes, um, a brief history of Madonna, hairdo by hairdo. Thanks, Madge. And I just want to yeah. say, I hate that Madge thing. Mm, I re- yeah. I've always hated mm. that. But the other thing that I found weird, and this is down to Blacksill, is um, the picture suddenly turns into a barrel shape and twirls towards you. And some, somebody has got a nice new effects box in the fucking control yes. gantry, and they're playing with it big time, aren't they, in this yeah. episode. But um, getting on to Madonna herself, for a start, she's had a pretty bad lockdown. The, the start of lockdown seems forever ago now, but you, you may remember that she decided to send out this kind of supposedly morale-boosting message to the world, and it was her in a fucking bath, uh, very expensive oh, yeah. bath full of oh, yeah. rose petals. It's like, yeah, cheers, mate. You're having the best. You're having your fucking best life. Yeah, thanks for reminding us. <laughs> Fuck yeah. you. Um, we've 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 done we've done Madonna before in the '90s, where she was having hits that none of us can fucking remember. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is a vaguely interesting thing about her career in the '90s that she was repeatedly getting into the top ten with mm. songs that I couldn't pick them out of a fucking police lineup. Mm-hmm. And um, this is another one of those. It's, it's called One More Chance. Fuck knows. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. it's, it, it, it's, it, it's slow. Excellent it's research got, is always slow. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm a fucking pro, if nothing else. Um, it's, it's slow. It's got Spanish guitars. Um, there seems to be footage of a film with a bullfighter in it. I mean, she loves, she loves a bit of animal cruelty, does Madonna. Yeah. You can kind of see uh, the future here where she, where she got married to Guy Pearce and started going out shooting grouse. Wearing yeah. plus fours and tweeds, she loves a bit of animal cruelty, and of course <laughs> she turned up at Hyde Park uh, for for one of her gigs um, in in the noughties, wearing a coat made out of forty chinchillas. Yeah. So you know the the sight of her treating bullfighting as something that's sort of sexy and romantic is not the least bit surprising. I absolutely no. despise Madonna. I will accept that she's made maybe 10 really good singles yeah. you can't take that away from her but as as a personality i think she's vile and this song's a piece of crap she's <laughs> miles away from pop madonna by now isn't she yeah. Which is the Madonna that people liked or at least tolerated or grudgingly accepted. Well, well in a way, it's similar to Kylie in the 90s, that Kylie had her kind of indie Kylie phase where she tried to go serious, but then yeah. uh, she kind of figured out that people didn't want that and she came back with the gold hot pants and spinning around and all mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah. Madonna did that when she came back with, like, you know, music and a cowboy hat phase and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So, yeah. The um, Hindu era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So th- this is her trying to be serious phase. Yeah, music and Ray of Light are better singles and probably the only ones I remember from the 90s. But the thing is, at this stage, I think all those people who developed fandom of Madonna in the 80s were basically buying her records when they came out. It didn't matter what they sounded like. So that was Mm. sufficient to get her up to, what, number 11? 
Um, but yeah. it drops to number 29 week after. And, and mm. you know, until she actually comes out with a single that in some way speaks to an audience beyond her own congregation, it's going to keep happening. So the following week, as Neil's just said, One More Chance dropped 18 places to number 29. And the follow-up and first cut from the Evita soundtrack, You Must Love Me, got to number 10 in November and was immediately followed up by Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, which closed out 1996 at number three in the last chart of the year. Lamac essentially calls Madonna a slapper. See, Madonna, you can't escape it, no matter how much flamenco guitar you have. As a linking device to get in a shit impersonation of them out of the fast show as he introduces Being Brave by Menswear. Formed in London in 1994, Menswear were first mentioned in the media in a select article about the mod revival revival in the summer of that year when Chris Gentry and Johnny Dean two regulars at the blow-up club in Camden made mention of a top new unsigned band which didn't actually exist yet. After forming their own band a few months later, Menswear played their first gig in a club in Regent Street which was reputedly attended by two dozen A&R men and the resultant coverage in the music press sparked a label bidding war, with London Records eventually signing them up for £90,000 and a whopping 18.5% gross revenues, and a publishing deal for half a million pounds for a band who at the time had written only seven songs. Despite making their first appearance on Top of the Pops and making the cover of Melody Maker before they'd actually released anything, their debut single, I'll Manage Somehow, only got to number 49 in April of 1995. However, the follow-up, Daydreamer, got to number 14 in July of that year. This is the fifth release of the LP Nuisance, which was released in October of 1995 and got to number 11 in the UK album charts. It's the follow-up to Sleeping In, which got to number 24 in December of 1995, and it's crashed into the charts this week at number 10. We've got to talk about the presentation style of uh, Steve Lamack. He's he's not necessarily dislikable, but he's clearly not suited to TV presentation. He's very awkward. I mean, th- this is this is probably why they were having so many celebrity presenters at the time, because the current batch of Radio 1 presenters clearly aren't up to the job. Well, he doesn't quite know what to do with his face Yes, um, when he talks. So he, he shoots the odd look. He is definitely a, not only a face for radio, but his kind of expressions are for radio as well. Whereas Wiley, conversely, it's almost as if she's already planning her future TV career Yeah, um, with her endless thinning of her eyes to look intense and, mm. and focused. Um, but yeah, Lamac, he's not got a face for telly. So uh, yeah, he makes his show and he goes, here's Madonna famous for getting her kit off 
and here's a band famous for getting their kit on. Who suits you, sir? Yeah. And you know, so he's doing that fast show impression. Doesn't quite land. No. Um, and what what doesn't help it? And this is not Steve's fault. This is Black Seal's fault. It's undercut by some shitty high tempo techno music, mm. which. You know, and it's as if, you know, unless our pulses dare to slow down, even for a second, you've got to have this <laughs> ding, 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 yeah. going on underneath. Yeah. And, and which, you know, really crashes the vibe of the next song, to be honest. Yeah. Mm. And mm. the next song, Being Brave, Drenched in Tears, Raindrops and Violins, is one of the great end of the affair songs. It's Men's Wears, The Bitterest Pill. Men's Wears, Motorcycle Emptiness. Men's Wears, I Know It's Over. And... On St. Valentine's Day 1996, it'll be menswear's first number one. Thus spake Simon Price of Melody Maker <laughs> in October of 1995 in an interview with the band. In that interview, Johnny Dean also says that he saw you in an all-night garage wearing a Napoleon hat, Simon. <laughs> well, there's a bit of an in-joke there, which uh, I should probably get on to. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> okay, well... <laughs> First of all, your um, summary of uh, uh, who menswear were and where they came from is pretty much spot on. Oh, but thank God. They are, but they are seen in retrospect. The whole, the whole affair, the whole menswear thing, is seen as being the kind of high point of Britpop hubris and lunacy. Mm. That you could get this band that didn't actually exist, and almost sort of Henry Higgins like take this humble flower girl and turn them into a lady. You yeah. Know? And so yeah, they they were just knocking around. You used to see them around Camden. These these young, mod dressed lads um, at uh, Blow Up, which was, uh, if I remember rightly, held at a pub called the Laurel Tree yeah. at the time, um, and uh, they were discovered by a manager called Adrian Webb, who clearly played a blinder here. When you look at how much money oh, yes. he took the industry for, um, there were um, uh, there were rumours essentially that they were a boy band that were, that were put together. Uh, and there were scurrilous and somewhat homophobic rumours that a casting couch had been involved oh. and uh, uh, people used to sing uh, Chris Gentry rear entry to the tune of Daydreamer, <laughs> their, their previous hit record. Um, they they were, uh, as you say, on the front of um, Melody Maker before they had a record out there on the front of Select. And they were Whose decision was that? To put them on the front? Mm. Uh, well, I would imagine that um, we all just... Nobody would have disagreed. This is the thing. There, well, uh, there would have been a few dissenting voices, but there would have been this this massive consensus in the editorial meeting that because we were a weekly paper, mm. you had to go with these ridiculous, um, you know, uh, sort of ov- overnight uh, sensations that, that would be forgotten about the following week. That's what a weekly paper is for, in a way, just to sort of convey that rapid turnover, that excitement of pop. Mm. So if, if we didn't put menswear on the front, and indeed if we hadn't put the Romo bands on the front, um, uh, you know, um, a, a few months earlier, then we would have been failing, in, in, at least failing part of our duty of what Melody Makers should have been about. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and, and they, uh, I think Select called them the indie take that. And there was that aspect to them, that they were five reasonably presentable and, you know, in some cases, really beautiful young men. They're not really playing that up here on that performance, are they? Uh, the rest of them are in um, sort of standard jeans and tops, they might as well be members of Shed 7. Um, yeah. Uh, I've noticed that they've got daffodils on. Everyone's got fucking daffodils on yes. in this episode. Yeah. Is that is it a cancer charity yes, thing Yes, it's Marie Curie right. daffodil yeah. thing. Because um, March the 1st is uh, St. David's Day, yeah. and yeah, I guess that's why 
the Marie Curie thing just carries on through the month. But yeah, they've really gone for a big time in this episode, haven't they? Everyone mm. has. It's like it's essentially like you know when uh, footballers get guilt tripped into yes. wearing a poppy. And if they don't, <laughs> they get all, all kinds of shit for it. But yeah, um, you got Matt Everett on drums, who um, people used to say he looked a bit CID, and I can kind of see <laughs> that. Um, Simon White, uh, guitarist, he'd been around a bit. Uh, he's the only one I think he'd been in a couple of. Funny enough, Steve Lamack approved. Um, indie bands of sort that would play at the Bull and Gate in, in Kentish Town, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, you've got Chris Gentry, who I mentioned, who was the youngest and sort of um, uh, slightly blank-faced but pretty um, skinny boy. Um, mm. And then you've got Johnny. And I've got to say, Johnny looks like a fucking fantastic pop star here. Mm. He really does. I've, he's got Man Who Fell to Earth, David Bowie hair, yeah. um, a granddad collar with a pearl button, very nice eye shadow, he looks absolutely gorgeous. He should have been in a Romo band. He was born to be in a Romo band. <laughs> mm. But um, th- th- this leads me on to the thing about the Napoleon hat. And yeah. that, that would have been a little in-joke because uh, uh, he and I were, were neighbours for a little while. Uh, he lived off Holloway Road and so did I. And uh, Was Shaking Stevens his landlord? Yeah, not in that property, in a ah. different one. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Shaking Stevens, as we've established in a previous, uh, previous episode, Rip-pop was landlord, the yeah. landlord. Yeah, because menswear and Kinnicky, among others, all lived in a Shaking Stevens house. You know, people sing at Scousers, you all live in a Robbie Fowler house. <laughs> <laughs> you can sing that to any Britpop band, you all live in a Shaking Stevens house. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, because menswear's entire reputation was built on wearing sharp suits and looking very styled, styled to an inch their lives. Um, and this is a true story. Uh, I once saw Johnny for menswear going to the uh, uh, the late night BP garage at the end of my street to just get some, I don't know, some skins or whatever. I don't know what he was going there for. But he was wearing like a, a pair of Hawaiian shorts and some flip-flops and a pretty bad <laughs> shirt. And he just didn't look like Johnny out of menswear. And this led to the thing called, it became a sort of competitive thing, the Johnny for menswear game, where you had to sort of uh, say, yeah, well, I saw Johnny for menswear and he was wearing dot 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 and it would be you know increasingly ridiculous things like one of those one of those hats with um, two cans of drink either side and straws <laughs> going into your mouth or a revolving bow tie or a global hyper color t-shirt that was all different colors because he'd been sweating and all this kind of stuff and i think uh, that may have um, fed its way into neil's uh, rumor mill gossip column that we would have uh, these fake sightings of Johnny Dean. And uh, it was probably, it was my fault. And uh, so <laughs> that that would be why he's talking about me wearing a Napoleon hat or whatever. So that didn't happen then? I mean, I'm not saying I've never worn a Napoleon uh, hat. I couldn't possibly <laughs> confirm or deny. It sounds like the sort of thing I would have done Circa Romo at the height of my self-belief as as, as the uh, Sven Gali of that whole scene. <laughs> but yeah, I, I interviewed them. Um, I got on with them pretty well. And... Uh, Johnny was really into sci-fi stuff, uh, um, really sort of nerdy about Star Wars and Star Trek. And I remember ah, yes. um, I, I interviewed them in this uh, uh, diner in um, sort of Victoria area of London, where and it was all sort of um, sci-fi themes. And the best thing about it was when you walked into the toilet, in the gents' toilets, you opened the door, and they had a yeah. sound effect that was like the sliding doors on the USS Enterprise. So yes. you go, shh, shh. <laughs> It's absolutely amazing. So that's one of my, my favourite menswear memories. Funny enough, is the sound of toilet doors opening and closing, <laughs> because there was a lot, a lot of toilet doors opening and closing um, went into making menswear what they were. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the the interview with the band, yeah, where the, where those toilet doors were mentioned, you wrote, "I want menswear to be brilliant. Anyone who doesn't is a dead, dead soul." 
but they're not yet, and I think they know it. Doesn't that sum up the attitude of the music press at the time, this this desperation to create legends? Or was that more to do with the fact that you were mates with them? Neither of those things. It was to do with the fact that they had it in them to be a brilliant pop thing. In fact, they were already becoming a brilliant pop thing. And... Mm. Yeah, and, and, and boring and reductive as it may be, I, it would have been handy if they had the songs to back it up because that would have just tipped them over the edge into, into being massive. You know, they they had style, they had a bit of personality, a bit of flash about them, mm. you know, and they weren't, they weren't afraid to be a bit puffy. They weren't afraid to wear makeup on top of the pops in a way that would have absolutely disgusted Liam Gallagher. You know, so um, mm. I, I would rather menswear being a bit crap at what they're doing than Oasis being competent at what they're doing. Let's put it that way, all day long. Yeah. Um, and I actually think this is a good song. Um, uh, obviously, uh, they've they've really laid it on thick, the idea that it's a classy ballad by bringing in a string section. And I just noticed that on this episode in general, indie bands are really pushing the boat out because you've got um, yeah. Oasis with their grand piano You've got Shed yeah. Seven with the fucking horn section, and now you've got menswear yeah. with, the, with the strings. But, um, yeah, everything that you quoted me saying about being brave all those years ago, uh, I would stand by, apart from its chart position. Oh, it wasn't that far wrong. It got in the top ten. Mm. Um, I, I think it's it's a great lyric about being heartbroken and about missing someone. Winter's gone away and the mornings aren't so cold. Rub the sleep out of my face. Hug my pillow and try not to count the days. Get your face out of my brain. I, th- I think that's that's a really good lyric about heartbreak. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I stand I stand by them as a really likable pop thing, even if they didn't always deliver. Um, yeah. Johnny's a fucking amazing looking pop star, and I think this is a great song. I think it's the best song on the episode. Neil, your man here, Johnny, is he, he's clearly a better singer than Pissy Rick. But he, he once is. again, singing live as Top yeah. of the Pops is making people do it, it's not helping to put the band over, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I feel Johnny is kind of hampered here by the live things. That uh, These were, I mean, for me, Johnny is, is a singer who would have benefited from miming so that he could have concentrated on the visual perf- sense, side of the performance. Mm. The live thing that had been brought in a few years earlier insists that you have to sing at your absolute best and therefore you concentrate on your singing because you know that a, a bum note that might pass on stage will get massively noticed on yeah. TV. Menswear antagonised an awful lot of Melody Maker readers for precisely the reasons that you've already discussed um the thing but the thing is i always loved a kind of biff bang pow you are gonna love this band cover mm. even if i didn't end up liking the band yeah you know so things like i mean i remember the way suede were first sort of introduced yeah. to me and and romo and, and and it reminded me an awful lot actually of, of kind of back in the day when i started reading the music yeah. press of who the fuck are the sugar cubes who were suddenly on the front cover of this you know mm. that kind of just boldness of saying you are gonna love this band because they're amazing I used to prefer that. I used to I used to prefer that to a kind of yeah, they've been in the van for ten years, it's finally time that they got their due. Yeah. Um for me with menswear, I mean I went to see them live, I remember I reviewed them, I think, and Pricey maybe edited the review. Uh live, it, I went to see them at the, the the sort of peak hype, if you like, at the beginning of this year. I mean, I fucking loved Daydreamer and, and I still do. Um just a guaranteed dance floor hit. And I saw them live, felt the hype immensely because I fancied Chris Gentry like fuck. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, this isn't bad, but um, I would rather have the sort of hype and hoopla, if you like, 
about a band who perhaps don't justify that hype than, yeah, than just the ruthless competence of somebody like Oasis. I never used to mind those ridiculous kind of front covers. This band are going to dominate this year. This band are going to be this. This band are going to be that. I think that precise, well, like Simon said, that was our job. Mm. It wasn't our job to just pointlessly coast the music scene along. It was our job to antagonise as well and to annoy Mm. and to sometimes go off on daft tangents like that. So, yeah, menswear certainly from the 90s period that we're talking about are absolutely not the enemy. And I don't mean the band the enemy. Um, They are, you know, they're they're, they're on the side of the righteous, I would suggest, whereas Shed 7 and Oasis aren't. So although this isn't one of my songs I'm most fond of, I remember those that year, 96, the year of menswear, if you want to call it that. But I remember the hype at that gig. It was unbelievable. And I don't think that was entirely fostered by the music press. I think it was fostered by the strength of songs like Daydreamer, because Daydreamer was just a, a real classic. But It's yeah. a daft record, but it's a great record. Yeah, because uh, it was uh, it was completely um, derived from Line Up by Elastica, which in turn yeah. was completely derived from I Am The Fly by Wire. Um, mm, so you, mm. you get these kind of... Well, I wouldn't even say diminishing returns, because I do think, as you say, Daydreamer stands up as, as, as a great record. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean it was you, it was all over pretty quickly. They they made a second album, as I'm sure you'll get into it in your outro, which never quite re- recaptured the the excitement of this. I mean, you, you were clearly mates with the band Simon. Yeah. At the time, what's it like to be a music journalist and a friend of a band that suddenly fall off? Well, is it awkward? Yeah, and I it's it's the reason why I usually say that making friends with musicians should be discouraged if you're a music journalist because mm. at some point they will make a shit record and your duty as an honest critic is to say so yeah so you know it, it was it was actually probably easier for neil than it, it, it was for me because he lived up in cov mm. yeah i i was there in london and you would end up kind of befriending these people or at least sort of becoming friendly acquaintances with them i didn't yeah. know men's bumping before. into each other yeah. and having a drink and that yeah i didn't know menswear before they were menswear uh, but as soon as they became menswear, inevitably I moved in the same circles and got to know them, got on with them pretty well. And yeah, um, if if they brought out a record I thought was really shit and it was put in front of me, I would have had to be honest and I would have had to say so in print. And if that meant they mm. threw a drink at me next time they saw me in Camden, <laughs> so be it. That's just that's mm. just how how you have to be. So when when you do befriend musicians, it's always with a slight undercurrent of sadness because you know that it's quite likely to end horribly at some point for, <laughs> yeah. for exactly that reason. Yeah. Mm. No, well, I mean, that's absolutely... It, it, it's kind of... I'd like to say I militantly stayed in Cov for a principled reason. It wasn't. It was just shyness and fear. But but mm. part of what made it easy was thinking, yeah, I, I can still... I'm not saying writers in London lost their critical faculties or something, but I'm a coward, man. If I made friends with musicians... I would feel a bit, not duty-bound to give them positive reviews, but I'd feel that I wouldn't be able to cut loose to a certain extent. So I never faced that, because at the end of the night, yeah. or the first thing in the morning, I could always get that train back to Carve where I could say what the fuck I liked. One of the funniest things about the whole menswear hoopla that Neil alluded to was that um, once you had this phenomenon of a band who'd only written seven songs, didn't actually kind of really exist yet, but were on the front cover of Melody Maker, um, it was, everyone was then looking around for the next one, and you had some yeah. sort of very enterprising kids who started touting themselves. Like there was this um, this guy I knew called Toby Slater who was um, 17 but looked about 12 and always somehow ended up backstage uh, at, <laughs> um, at festivals and stuff like that. Um, I, th- I think his, um, his, his stepdad was uh, Angus Deaton, so that can't have done any harm. Uh, right. But 
um, he used to go up to, say, to, to people and say, yeah, I'm in this band, we're the next menswear, we're called Brattish. <laughs> and, and you know they're all these sort of they they were um private school privately school teenagers who uh yeah they they actually um uh eventually became a real band called catch uh who, oh. yeah yeah a sort of indie boy band catch um and yes. in, in the meantime best I... known for being the band whose uh video was cut on ITV when they announced the lady died car crash absolutely yeah mm. yeah, yeah yeah on the chart show repeat Mm. So and, and I, I actually uh, ended up um, running uh, um, my Romo Night Arcadia with Toby out of Brattish slash Catch, uh, and that was right. that was quite fun because uh, Angus Deaton would would turn up afterwards in his uh, massive SUV in Soho and pick him up and drive him home at the end <laughs> of the night, and technically he was too young to even be at the fucking club. So um, yeah, I, I, these are the circles I moved in at the time, and it was it was hilarious that. People were just really thinking. Well, if if a scam like menswear can get into the top ten, let's just keep doing it. Let's find another one and another one and another one. So the following week, being brave dropped twenty three places to number thirty three. The follow up, we love you, got to number twenty two in September of this year, but their second LP was only released in Japan. They never troubled the charts again, and they split up in nineteen ninety eight. I mean, we've we've said before about the the Mayfly-like existence of chart singles that <laughs> crash straight in and go out again. And no wonder. I mean, this was... What what was this? This was their fifth release off an album. Yeah, fifth release off an album. Don't look back in anger's been available on vinyl for, mm. you know, nearly a year. It's ridiculous, man. People are just... It's the band's fault that singles aren't important anymore, I'd contend. Plus extensive and massive reformatting of things. Because singles, 12 inches, extra 12 Mm. inches with extra remixes, etc. So every single single had about three different other products attached to it. Yeah, and that that really sorted out the wheat from the chaff in terms of who was any good at songwriting. Because um, you had bands like Blur who were forced to write enough songs to fit on CD1 and CD2 of their single that would just have to churn out any old shit. Um, oh, usually written yeah. while they're on tour. And then you have bands like Suede, who seem to be fucking brilliant at it, mm. to the extent that when they put out a compilation of their B-sides, Sci-Fi Lullabies, it was probably better than any of their actual albums. Hello, my darlings, it's me, Anna Mann, actress, singer, welder, gotta have a backup. I've been in everything, my darlings, and I've been cut from most things. However, I will not be cut from one thing, and that is my own podcast, Talking to Actors with Anna Mann, where I meet those rarest of creatures, the actors. That's Talking to Actors. Look out for the new series starting soon on The Great Big Owl. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We're tipping the new Prodigy single Firestarter to be number one next week. And you can see the video exclusive on Top of the Pops 2 on Saturday. And it's a particularly smoochy kind of show tonight. And fittingly, we have the Lord of the Love Song performing live, Lionel Richie. Everything seems to be going wrong. The Mac spoilers next week's number one and shills the exclusive airing of the video on top of the Pops 2 at the weekend. While Wiley declares it to be a smoochy kind of show tonight, after we've had fucking Oasis and Shed 7, <laughs> as a way of crowbarring in an introduction to Lionel Richie singing Don't Wanna Lose Ya. Born in Tuskegee, Alabama in 1949, Lionel Richie turned down careers as a priest and a tennis player to become a member of the Commodores in 1968, who were immediately signed to Atlantic Records for one LP. After signing to Motown in 1972 and being installed as a support act for the Jackson 5 tours, their first single on the new label, Machine Gun, got to number 20 in the UK charts for three weeks in October of 1974. But, thanks to Rich's songwriting, they moved away from funk towards a more easy listening style, which paid off when Easy got to number 9 in August of 1977 and Three Times a Lady got to number 1 for five weeks in the late summer of 1978. By the late 70s, Richard started to write for other artists, notably Kenny Rogers, who took Lady to number 1 in America, and after testing the water with Endless Love, a duet with Diana Ross which spent nine weeks at number 1 in America, he finally went solo in 1982, notching up nine top 20 hits in the UK throughout the 80s, including six weeks at number 1 with Hello in the spring of 1984. After the release of the Greatest Hits compilation Back to Front in 1992, Richie took an extended break, but this year sees a comeback, and this single is the lead cut from his fourth LP, Louder Than Words, which is due out in three weeks. It's the follow-up to Love Oh Love, which only got to number 52 over here in November of 1992. It was produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, and here he is, in the studio. Well, this is this is usually the main event for Top of the Popsers of this era, isn't it? Big star from the past coming back. Yeah. Actually being there, gracing us with his presence. Do you think he was pissed off that he didn't get to do the intro? <laughs> <laughs> He's a pro. He's an old pro, so no, I don't think that would have pissed him off. The, the thing of the use of Lionel Richie, maybe Madonna as well. I don't know. Does Top of the Pops still feel that it has to appeal to its previous audience, or is it confidently striking out on young turf? It's kind of in between two stools in a way yeah but yeah i but, think you're absolutely right that uh if, if if there was a big american star who'd had hits 10 years earlier they would be a shoo-in because michael bolton turned up didn't he, he did yeah a similar yeah thing yeah, one yeah. Time. yes yeah and the likes of curtis steigers and all those people 
those are the pop people that you would get on the show. And it's a bit of a dereliction of duty to ignore all the more interesting pop music that's in the charts. I want to hear some of the, you know, stop Price was going on about the rundown. I don't remember mm. half of them either, half of those dance signal singles. And I want to hear them. And I want to see the freaks yeah. who made them on my weekly pop show, please. Yeah. Well, this is clearly a song. I mean, I don't remember a single second of it. I only watched it about three hours ago. No. Clearly not the peak of his post-Commodore's output. That has to be the... Um, the sort of uh, slightly sub-racist Lion King stylings of his accent on All Night Long. <laughs> but um, in this one, I mean, look, I've I got to admit, I wasn't really listening. I was watching his beard. Yeah. Um, I was looking at his beard. I mean, I prefer Tash, Richie. Yeah. But this iron filings-like beard he's got, yeah. um, it, it looked like he's got actually a perfectly hairless head. But it was lowered gently into this beard. Mm. Um, so I just stared at that for the entire duration, I've got to say. Well, I mean, Lionel Richie with short hair and, and not wearing a jumper just looks fucking wrong. Mm, it does a bit. You it... see him in a suit and you just think, oh, God, what's happened to Lionel? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm equally fascinated by it. Well, yeah, but the, with the, with, I mean, the thing is, I think he actually looks pretty good considering how old he is here. Yeah. Um, the but lack he, of fro has he, helped His hair's him. not fluffed out, though. That's... No, it isn't. But it's imagine right. how old, and he would have looked way older if he did have the old hair, though, Al. I think <laughs> well, yeah, he needs it. He's 46 here, so... Yeah. Well, yeah. So he's looking pretty good for his age. But yeah, I just yeah. remorselessly stared at his beard, honestly. So I really haven't got much to report back about this song. No. Um, which is perhaps more revealing of the song than his beard, because it's a pretty dull thing. Um, and even... A, I mean, Jam and Lewis, great producers, but they can't really do jack shit with this, can they? No. No. I mean, he can sing though. He is he is live, hmm. and he, he he's definitely live because he does that spoken word bit at the end that singers do yeah. when they want to prove that they're not miming. I'm I'm fascinated uh, as Neil is by his beard in this, and also his <laughs> his hair. His hair looks kind of painted on, like um, yeah, like mm. like John Travolta went through a weird phase uh, 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 in the years after Pulp Fiction, where he had this very short seemingly painted on hair um what it looks like it, it looks like um the woman from the hello video who made the plasticine uh, bust <laughs> of his head has, has yeah. put it in the oven or gone at it with a blowtorch <laughs> or something and it's just like this per- perfectly smooth head that somehow resembles lionel richie but also doesn't at the same time mm. um, oh, th- those days when you could touch someone's face <laughs> when you can't even touch your fucking own these days man yeah it's not much of a song is it i mean Fucking no. lyrics that rhyme makes me feel all right with probably tonight or something like that. <laughs> yeah. and, um, was this even a hit in the end? Fuck no, I, I don't remember it being a hit. This, of course, this is uh, before young people kind of rehabilitated him. So this mm, is before yes. that, before he did the legend slot at Glastonbury and all of that. Mm. Nowadays, you, you can't go to a fucking club night without millennials ironically dancing to Dancing on the Ceiling or All Night mm. Long or something and mm. saying that, you know, Lionel is a legend and all that kind of stuff. This would have been his wilderness years where nobody gave a fuck. Um, <laughs> yes. And it's it's a bit of a shame, really, for, for a guy who had made great records like, like Machine Gun and like Brick House. Fucking hell. How yeah, great yeah, is Brick House? I mean, imagine if Brick House suddenly cropped up on this episode now. That is all we'd be talking about. <laughs> yes. What fucking record that is. Yeah. But, it's, yeah, yeah, you can hardly believe it's the same guy. Weirdly, he's not at the piano. Uh, and, and you've got to wonder why. Somebody else is at the mm. grand piano. And I, I wonder if it's because 
he saw the footage of Liam Gallagher sort of slobbering yeah. all over it. He thought, fuck that, I'm not touching that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's not much of a song. Yeah, I mean, this this goes to prove that finally, by 1996, the, the break with the 80s has finally been made because he's on here as a heritage act, isn't he? Yeah, but Very it's, much so, yeah. It, it's also revealing of kind of Black Seal's attitude towards any music that isn't guitar-y music. I, th- I think as soon yes. as it's away from guitar bands... All he sees is sales figures, in a sense, and, and how mm. how much of a career somebody's got. So when you look at the people on this episode who aren't in indie bands, they're, mm. they're extremely reliable names, but Black Seal's not listened to these records at all. Why would you put a dead spot song like this and like the Madonna one in the middle of the show? Well, they're big names, and that's all that matters when it comes to any music other than guitar music, because essentially to Black Seal, it's not really music. These moments yeah. that are wasted on Richie and wasted on Madonna might have been better spent getting some of those dance singles that are in the charts uh, Absolutely. on instead, I'm, you know? Because even the menswear song is a ballad, and when Wiley says uh, it's a bit of a smoochy show or whatever, basically what it means is it's a bit of a boring show. There are too many slow songs. Yeah. All yeah, in a row. Yeah. All in a row. Completely. Yeah. And then at the end, yeah, he stares down the barrel, doesn't he? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> I'm coming home. This time I'm never going to leave you. This, I promise. And oh, fuck, I t- tell you what, tell you what, Lionel, it's fine. You know, stay out, just get get a night in the travel lodge. It's fine. I'll see you in the morning, mate. <laughs> so two weeks later, don't want to lose you. Enter the chart at number seventeen and immediately slid down. The follow up, still in love, only got to number sixty six in November of this year. But he go on to have seven more top forty hits in the UK in the late nineties to mid noughties. This would have been another stop off on the uh, on the grand tour of uh, light entertainment TV shows of the nineties, isn't it? Yeah, For Lionel, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably got on the national lottery as well. Yeah. Don't want to lose you, baby. I'm coming home. This time I'm never gonna leave you. This I promise. the skinniest woman in the world this is something i whistle in a bar the home of mine obviously it's the number one lp at the moment celine d on the title track falling into you We're actually allowed to see two members of the audience as the camera swings across to Lamac. One of them looks a bit like Robbie Fowler. <laughs> Lamac tells us that the following artist is the skinniest woman in the world and that he whistles this song in the bath. I think he's being ironic. A very 90s conceit. He's doing that John Peel thing, isn't he? Very yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. It's Falling Into You by Celine Dion. We've already covered Whitney Houston in chart music number 21, <laughs> and this is a follow-up to Miss Led, which got to number 15 in December of 1995. It's the lead cut from her fourth LP of the same name, and is a cover of the 1994 single written and originally recorded by the Argentinian singer Marie Claire de Baldo. It entered the chart at number 10 three weeks ago, then dropped to number 11, then dropped to number 13, and this week it stayed at number 13, but the LP has just gone in straight to number one, giving Top of the Pops a reason to whack it on again. So yeah, they're still doing this LP chart thing, but not on a regular basis. Yeah, so a song that's essentially falling or a non-mover. 
Mm. Um, gets, mm. you know, that's enough to justify it. Yeah, it's not great, is it? <laughs> yeah. That introduction, a bit harsh of Lamac there, going on about how skinny she is. It's, it's not a good thing. She's skinny. She's, I mean, famously, she's got a long neck. Very yes. long neck. Sort of giraffe-like. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder if that kind of thing would fly now, sort of uh, mm. making... Um, Remarks no, about the physical appearance. Definitely not. Female singers. Yeah. This is essentially what Madonna wants to be at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But, and, and again, I can't remember this song. I've got to admit, I've, I think this is probably the best song on the whole thing, and I can't believe I'm saying it about a Celine Dion <laughs> wow. song. Fucking hell, I'm Al. shocked. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a tune that you hear on Eurovision and immediately go, well, that's going to fucking win. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, she did enter, didn't she? She did enter Eurovision. Yes, yeah, she did. And won. Representing yeah. Luxembourg in the mid eighties. Uh-huh. Well, I'm glad it. I'm glad it lodged with you, Al. The only thing that lodged with me in my mem- uh, in my thoughts was that line: "I see us inside each other." Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm pure Go enough. On, I'm pure enough that that amused me. Um, but beyond that, uh, uh, again, another song like the Madonna one, um, where essentially I was distracted by the by the what's it called again, Simon? The thing that goes along the bottom of the screen, signage. Or, oh, Chiron. The, yeah, that that predict. You know, Top of the Pops predicts that these records yes. will be in the charts next week. A replacement, yes, I yeah. guess, for the Breakers thing that was really really awful. Yeah. Top of the Pops predicts chart entries on Sunday for Prodigy, Mark Snow, Ken Doe, Cast. Wet, 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 and bis. Mm. What a time to be alive! And, <laughs> and yeah, and they're they're trailing this TOTP two thing, which I think is overstretching the brand of oh, the pop. It's a bit like you know, with match of the day, you get MOTD two and MOTD extra. And um, as much as you love football, nobody fucking sits and watches them all. There's only so much football or so much pop you can watch. Yeah. I think, and I, I know. Um, uh, I'm saying that as, as somebody who, when we talked about the 70s and 80s, Top of the Pops has gone on about how vital it was to see any pop on TV. I think by the 90s we're a bit fucking oversaturated yeah, yeah, with no. it, so you're not you're not going to sit and watch Top of the Pops too. But they're, they're obviously trying to really consolidate the brand there with that extra little adjunct. <laughs> so we get another video which Top of the Pops is clearly not up for showing. But it's a, you know it's a pretty expensive job this one, isn't it? It's Celine working in a nice circus. Yeah, uh, but, in France, but without actually doing any work in. No, but this is the thing, you see. The main conceit about this video that bugs me is that I love the bloody circus, right? Um, yeah. It's set in a circus. A circus is all about timing and tension and knowing your cues and working hard. You know, as a circus performer, you're expected not just to be up on the tightrope, but you're expected to sell the tickets and hand out the popcorn mm. and everything. She's just mooning about moaning. She's not doing yeah. anything. She's a. Poor... She's in love though, Neil. Come on, give her a break. She needs to fucking. I did wonder what her role yeah. is because yeah, you've got you've got people juggling, you've got clowns, you've got unicyclists. I mean, unless it's some kind of uh, Todd Browning's freaks deal, and she's the amazing giraffe woman. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, by by yeah. looking at it, because it's you know the the top and tail has been cut out. We're getting the middle bit. And I, I assume she's going to have a go on the trapeze because of the song lyric, you know, falling into you or something. Uh, but, you know, for all I know, she could have been selling Westler's burgers out of a tin <laughs> or something. So I actually went back to the video because she gets a card off someone saying Bon Chance from LV or whatever. You, you are now a massive Celine Dion fan, aren't you? Like? Oh, yeah, I'm obsessed. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, oh, Bon Chance. Well, obviously, that's, there's going to be an element of danger here. 
And mm. it, it turns out she's the fire eater's assistant. Oh, I see. I oh, she okay. stands there. She stands there holding a tin with petrol in it uh, with the sticks. And that's all she does. <laughs> I, I, felt, I felt robbed. Oh, no. What's the location then? Because it looks like a lovely medieval... Yeah, it's, it's, it's shot in like, front. Oh, lovely. All right, okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't want to be as crassly insensitive as Lamac is in the intro, but she needs to pull a fucking weight. <laughs> <laughs> I actually quite like Celine Dion as not so much uh, as a singer, but just as a sort of person or personality. As a concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, yeah. Too. me too. For a start, I love her, her mad French Canadian accent, which the the mm. only other equivalent in the media of that uh, is the BBC's Lise Doucette. Have you ever seen her? No. <laughs> she's oh, she's this incredible. Um, and she again, she's she's French Canadian. She's a, a, a BBC sort of foreign affairs reporter, and her accent's all over the place. You think is it? Irish is it? <laughs> French. Is it? It's like it, it'll change in mid-word. It's it's a thing of of quite fascination. I've got a French Canadian friend. I've got to admit, I don't think she even knows this. I think it was a, a good six months before I could understand an entire sentence that she said. <laughs> I could catch bits and bobs and I'd just nod. Yeah, but yeah, it took a while to tune my ear to it. So yeah, I know what you're saying, Simon. Yeah, <laughs> but a thing I love about Celine Dion, and I don't know if you've seen this footage, is after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, when um, there was a, a Larry King special uh, on American TV, and they were getting various sort of famous people to come on and talk about this crisis mm-hmm. and t- to see, you know, some of them were sort of trying to drum up money for various appeals and so on. And they got Celine Dion on there, and uh, I think she was uh, uh, speaking to them from Las Vegas, and mm. she got very, very emotional about it. And bless her, you know, mm. good for her for, for doing so. And of course, mm. being from French um, Canada, she uh, will have felt this sort of cultural affinity with Louisiana and, you know, yeah. the, the, the French bit of the USA. Um, but she starts coming up with these ideas about what they could do to rescue people who are still there on their rooftops. And, and she, she says, why can't people go in there with kayaks, kayaks? And she starts miming. She mimes as if she's got the oar of the kayaks in her hand. And she's there talking, doing this kind of motion, kayaks, kayaks. <laughs> and it's, it's it's really quite something to see. I, I really recommend yeah, looking excellent. for it. I I um I do like some of his songs, particularly uh, "It's All Coming Back to Me Now," and um mm. which of course is Jim Steinman at his finest. Uh, you you can imagine it being sung by by Meatloaf, mm. and uh, um uh, it's 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 a song. It's one of those things that um I, I'm a terrible one for saying like my like my name was. And uh, if ever mm. I'm remembering something vaguely, I'll say it's all coming back to me now. And I can't say that without then adding, <laughs> like my name was Celine Dion. Um, but but that, that, is a, that is a fantastic song. It's a bit of a classic anthem at uh, the club night I do, Late Night Minicab FM, mm-hmm. where, where, we, where we play all, all, all this kind of uh, uh, balladry. Um, but I think this song badly needs a bit of Steinman. Mm. Because mm. for me, like the Madonna single, the song barely exists. I can't remember it from the time and I can't remember it from just the other day watching this. Yeah. Mm. What I like I mean, what I like about Celine Dion is that I cannot imagine or rather I can imagine her existence. Um and it's not hanging around with Sting or hanging around with you too. There's just a little level yeah. above. It's almost like Celine Dion is, it just lives in a world of princes and princesses and Arab sheikhs yeah. and and just impossible yeah. wealth. Beyond the normal mm. level, beyond the normal red yeah. car- carpet level. She's just, I'm not saying she's a cut above in any way, but she seems to exist in this almost uh, pre-modern world of just jetting about doing shit. 
obviously she's not doing that yeah. at the moment, but at a tier and at a level that is just way above the normal sort of hoi polloi of pop, if you like. She's, she's mm. proper aristocracy in a way. It's it just leading yes. this demented billionaire's lifestyle. Um, and I like that about her. She's a bit, she's kooky in an interesting way. So the following week, Falling Into You dropped five places to number 18. The follow-up, Because You Loved Me, got to number five for four weeks in June of July this year, and she managed to ring three more top 20 hits from her new LP. Let me kiss you And while you sleep And that... Pop Craze Youngsters puts the tin lid on this part of the episode of Chart Music. My name's Al Needham. I'll see you in a bit. Until then, stay pop crazed. Chart Music. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.